Molly. I am a second year primary education student. I'll be bringing God's word to us today. So you can find it just on the inside of your uh, Luke 17, verses 1 to 10. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woes to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung round his neck and were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant ploughing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly? And serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Thank you. We'll be looking at those words in more detail in just a moment. But first we have a question for you. Yes. What is the difference between temptation and sin? Try and answer that question and your question. and teach on as he's bringing in God's kingdom. So last week, and indeed over the last couple of weeks, that the theme of money just keeps coming through in the way that Jesus that Jesus raises that and deals with it with people. And here Jesus deals with this issue of sin and forgiveness. You would think that with a grand vision like the bringing in of the kingdom, that small things, well, seemingly small things like money, saying sorry, forgiveness, where do they have their place in such a big grand scheme? Jesus thinks that they're big topics. But both things play into our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. God's kingdom that he's bringing in kingdom that Jesus is bringing in is about relationship with God and how we treat one another. Uh, here at ECU we, we hold that the Bible is God's word to us and so as we look at it now and as I teach on it now, I'm going to pray, ask God to help us. Uh, we want to say 
um, into that by on a mini map, yes, then please uh, pray with me. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the way you've been teaching us about your kingdom that Jesus brings into the world. As we look at this part of your word now, please guide us, help me be able to speak clearly, and help us to be able to respond properly to your word. Amen. Jesus says in verse 1, temptations to sin are sure to come. Temptations to sin are unavoidable, says Jesus. And everyone agrees. The world agrees. Uh, Non-Christian writer Oscar Wilde, may not have heard of him, famously said, the only way to get rid of temptation, temptation is to give in to it. Temptation is everywhere. Most people would agree. Temptation and sin, however, are words and ideas that feel perhaps a bit strange to us, to some of us. They're sort of quaint ideas and words from perhaps another age with those stereotyped cartoons that go with sin and temptation, the stereotyped cartoons of uh, adultery, to pick one where you have you know the forbidden fruit, uh, you've got all the naughty bits covered up, all the suggestive scenes, uh, and it's portrayed cartoon-like to make fun of these quaint ideas of sin and temptation. And people laugh at the cartoons. How could we have believed all those ideas back then? How could we have believed such rubbish? But they're not stereotyped cartoons of centuries past. The big one, the big adultery, it's rejecting God by rejecting the good way he set up relationships to work. And if you've had any experience with adultery at all, I am sorry that that has been your experience, but you'll know that it's not a cartoon. It's devastating to people who are involved, people who are affected by it. It causes real life devastation to real people. And God cares about that. It's not cartoon life. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Temptation may be unavoidable, but Jesus says, so is judgment. Specifically, however, here, it's not judgment upon the sinner that is in view. You know, it's judgment upon those who cause others to sin. Jesus equates tempting someone to sin with causing someone to sin. He said to them, if, uh, verse 2, it would be better for him if he had a millstone hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Sin doesn't occur in a vacuum. It doesn't just occur to isolated individuals. Sin involves a whole, well, a whole world, a whole community of teaching how to sin, of giving opportunity to sin, let alone people who actually do that. More importantly, oh, sorry, importantly, Jesus shows there's a distinction between sin and temptation. Yeah, you might think 
that's rather obvious. They're two different words. They're two different things. But I think sometimes we, and especially if you're a Christian, uh, you might blur the two things together and think that sin is temptation. Temptation is sin. Uh, sometimes we experience it that way. But merely having the thought pop into your head doesn't equate to sin. Uh, merely having the thought to pop into your head to, to badmouth somebody when uh, the person who is the topic of discussion or gossip that you're hearing. I don't believe words just appear in my head uh, when um, when people are being talked about or uh, words to put people down that seem to come out of nowhere in my head. Uh, they just naturally appear. I don't know where that comes from, but it just seems to be there. Maybe it's a, a lifetime of watching bad um, sitcoms on TV through the 80s. It's just, it's just awful, just it's there. And I didn't think about it. It's not necessarily sin to have that thought pop in your head from seemingly out of nowhere. It's what you do with the thought that counts. You dwell on it. You embrace it. You enjoy that thought. No. No, you... Sorry, it's the line. Sorry, you've got Taylor Swift to shake it off. You get get rid of that thought. That song may never be the same for you again. I'm not sure, but you shake... That just eliminate that thought. Get rid of it. If we mistake sin, if we mistake temptation for sin, there's a danger that we might lose the fight against sin before we've even begun to fight. When you think, oh, I've had that thought again. I've had that thought again. I've failed again. Within minutes, I've failed again. Jesus mentioned it seven times a day. Uh, 77 times in the last hour. I've had that thought again. I'm beyond repentance. There's no hope for me. The reality is, yes, you're a sinner. If you follow Jesus, you're a sinner who's been redeemed and brought back. Don't throw in the towel that quick. Rather, you need to fight against sin, against temptation for sin. It would be a strange soldier in combat, wouldn't it, who, who is surprised when the enemy makes an advance on the on their platoon on the troops. That would be a strange soldier. And he, well, who's that over there? They're coming his way. They're the enemy. Don't be surprised by sin or by the temptation to sin. It's a dangerous soldier in combat who surrenders as soon as the fighting starts. <coughs> Bullets start flying and says, "That's it. We're done for. I'm out of here. White flag." Temptations are a reality. Expect them and fight against sin or flee from sin, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 22. Flee the evil desires of you. Don't play with them, but don't let unnecessary guilt hinder your fight. Now, you have to be a little bit careful here, and I hope you can hear some of the warning signs. Jesus does make a distinction here between sin and the temptation to sin, but he doesn't say where the line between the two is. He doesn't try to map out where the line between where temptation ends and sin begins. It sounds a bit 
contradictory, but just because sin and temptation are two different things, don't try and draw the line between them. Because so much of the time, attempting to draw fixed, hard lines already gives away the symptom that you actually want to cross the line in the first place. Don't seek to make the line. Just run from sin. Fight the temptation to sin. Okay, back to Jesus. He's warning his disciples about judgment on those who cause temptation to sin. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of the little ones to sin. The little ones to sin. Uh, youngsters, little people, who are they? In Luke's Gospel, the disciples of Jesus are called little. He calls them little flock or little children, people who are following him. Uh, and here he, he talks about these little ones with the disciples around. It's a picture of those who are young in the kingdom. It's those who are following Jesus. It could be those who are by virtue of their age, they are young as well. Who are in the kingdom. People who look up to another to follow, look up to another to lead them. And so straight off the bat, if you're leading a youth group, if you're in a position of teaching uh, a youth group or a Sunday school, or here leading in a faculty group, then please, friends, take note. You're accountable for how you lead. You're accountable for how you lead other people and where you lead them. Jesus says it will be better to drown than cause someone young in the faith follower of Jesus to sin. Don't dig holes that other people can fall into. God cares what happens to his people. He cares for the sinner here. His, his worry is for the sinner. If you're leading repentant sinners, then take care of your life. We're going to come back to that in a moment. You need to take note of this because the world thinks very differently. The world has, well, on the one hand, God has enormous, generous compassion for the repentant sinner, but he has equal and opposite judgment for those who lead others into sin. The world has enormous compassion for those who lead people into sin. The world will affirm anyone who is seeking to market anything that people want, any new freedom the world will make space for. Do whatever you like, just don't hinder the freedom of others. Don't try and tell others what to do. But the world has the equal and opposite judgment on sinners who seek repentance. People who point out sin, people who own up to sin, people who own up to failures, don't want to be known by the world. More of that later. The world says, do whatever you like, just don't hinder others. God says, what to everyone be responsible for everyone. Now that's slightly incorrect. Um, it's a bit of an overreaching statement. I'll clarify on the way. But point two, be the same. Everyone be responsible for everyone. I'll qualify that. Verse three, pay attention to yourselves. That's what you're supposed to do. You pay attention to yourself. You look after your own self. That is, firstly, don't give in to temptation by sinning. 
Don't say, someone's causing me to sin. Someone's tempting me to sin. No, Jesus says, no, pay attention to yourself. You be responsible for your own actions. Secondly, don't treat temptation lightly. Flee from it. Don't, again, use the, I didn't. I didn't cause that temptation. No, you take responsibility. Flee from that. Thirdly, pay attention to where the real fight is. That is, expect temptation and don't be surprised by it, but know that the real fight is giving in temptation. Uh, and fight it there. I don't like the idea that the world wins. Uh, this, is not the, this is not the best way to attack um, temptation and deal with it. But this is my way, not the enemy. I don't like the idea of the world winning and gaining defeat over me. And so when there is the opportunity for temptation that I'm aware of, I picture a battlefield that I'm on and the world is watching on, however it may be, otherworldly, uh, and God is watching on, certainly. People watching on eager for me to be defeated. But I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to give in to that and give them that pleasure. Again, it's not the only motivation, not necessarily the best motivation for resisting temptation. The reality is Jesus has one victory so that we can rest in him. Rest in his victory. And fourthly, if you do fail, don't compound your sin by blaming others, but take responsibility by admitting failure and owning up to your own actions. So, that's the first thing. Pay attention to yourselves. Be responsible for yourself. But notice also, take responsibility for your brother's actions. Verse 3b, if your brother sins, I resist it presumably too, if your brother sins, rebuke him or her, and if they repent, forgive them. If your brother sins, rebuke him, he repents, forgive him. Learn to love being rebuked. Nobody loves being rebuked. Uh, means you're being shown where you're wrong, and they are wrong. Uh, the reality is, everybody hates it. Uh, the, the person being rebuked hates it. The person doing the rebuking hates it too. Everybody hates rebuking. Except maybe those that are looking in from on the sides, picking up that that's not me. Sometimes there are people who love rebuking others. If that's you, please don't rebuke people. If you love doing it, don't do it. <laughs> you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. But if you're agonizing over it, you know somebody who's actually done the wrong, you know that the rebuke is warranted, don't be it. Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the enemy multiplies his faithful are the women who are Make the review. Now you can see where I want to correct my hope, but you can see where I want to correct my file. It's not everybody be responsible for everybody else in the world, but if you're a follower of Jesus, be responsible for yourself and be responsible for other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
God wants to rebuke everybody in the world for everything that they do. But for your brothers and sisters that you're in relationship with, love them by rebuking them. Love them by pointing them back to the Lord Jesus and his forgiveness. Look after yourself, look after everybody else. I like to think of it, you know, that's like a monkey trip scenario. You know, that monkey monkey trip, trip, lady in youth group, Kevin in youth group. Blessings to you, you missed out on awful things. Uh, <laughs> awful games. Uh, you know, the monkey grip. Monkey grip requires just the strongest person to keep hold of, doesn't it? Uh, you don't even have to have both. One person can get that go, and still, the grip still works. But Jesus says, be responsible for yourself and be responsible for your brothers and sisters. And that's going to, that, as long as everyone's doing that, that will mean a strong grip on things. Well, you may have questions. I want to give some moments of questions before we move on to forgiveness. Uh, I'll give you just a moment in your paper. You might want to raise some questions in your paper. Uh, and then I'll go to the floor. I'll give you 30 seconds in your paper to look at questions. Gently or in a spirit of gentleness. 
That is, if you're doing that gently, you'll be aware, hopefully aware, you can't eliminate the possibility of crushing somebody, but you'll be aware of the, the way that that's having effect on people, if you're gentle. Um, if it, in the end, it still crushes a person, it's better that they be crushed than to be thrown into the hell if that's something that's going to actually damage their relationship with God. Um, I think that's what Jesus says elsewhere in Jesus' name. You take, that's very easy, you take track here, that we Any other questions? Oh good, excellent. Uh, three, forgiveness. If your brother sins, sorry, this is in verse three. Uh, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Okay, well, here's another question just quickly to answer in your tables. Uh, does someone have to repent before you can forgive them?
it costs a lot to forgive. Forgiveness involves the person who's been offended saying, I am willing to bear the cost of your offence against me. Forgiveness is costly. The greater the hurt, the greater the cost. The greater the pain, the greater the cost on the person who does the forgiving. A couple of notes. Jesus doesn't go into here, but it's part of our experience of forgiveness is it takes time to forgive. Uh, it can take a long time for someone to forgive someone who has um, who has been wrong. Uh, it's something that can take years and years. Uh, forgiveness also is not the same thing as reconciliation. Uh, you may forgive a person, but the relationship may never be the same again, depending on what happened. In a lot of cases, it probably won't be the same. Forgiveness does not mean you forget what has happened. Um, you may forgive someone who repents and confesses uh, doing something wrong. For example, like misusing club funds for themselves. You might forgive them for that, but you won't put them back in charge of the club funds. You don't forget the thing that happened. Forgiveness does not mean that the pain of being wrong goes away. That actually, forgiveness may increase the pain of wrong as the person who does the forgiving absorbs that within themselves. Notice here too that Jesus says forgiveness is not an option if you are in the kingdom. If someone comes and repents, you must forgive. Now that is hard, isn't it? The person who's been offended, who's been wronged, must forgive. I don't think Jesus necessarily means that you've got to have full and total forgiveness right there and then on the spot. Fully papering over every hurt and wound that has been caused. But it does, I do think it means that even from the beginning that you have the door open for that one day that might be possible. Even to the greatest of hurts to a brother or sister within the, within the family, within the kingdom. It may take a very long time. You may never actually get there. But we need to have put the door of forgiveness open. Fully. Forgiveness is hard. It's not necessarily complex to understand. Jesus can instruct his disciples in it in just a couple of sentences. There's a place for quick repentance and forgiveness and move on. We could probably do that lots, lots more than what we probably recognise. But it's important to recognise that while you can cover these things quickly in a few sentences, it's, the hurt is deep and difficult to work through. And so no wonder the disciples, the apostles, cry out to Jesus in the next verse saying, increase our faith. Increase our faith. This is just too much. Seven times in a day, someone seems to get to me and they come up after repentance. I need to forgive. This is too much. This is impossible. Too much to bear. Sometimes it takes years and years and much, much pain. In 1996, a woman named Thordis Elva, you may have heard of her, was raped by her 16 year old boyfriend. Australian boyfriend, she was from Iceland, in Iceland, 
and he was on exchange. It took her about nine years before she began to take action against him. It took her about nine years before she actually admitted to herself what had happened. Some of you might have come across her presentation in the TED talks, uh, or you've seen that re um, reference online, uh, and her book, South of Forgiveness, it's called. And I hope you have seen it uh, and watch it because it's a unique and powerful presentation. I can't capture it. Here is the gravity of it now. But she's not a Christian, but after nine years, she realised that she had to forgive him, though he had left soon after the uh, break had taken place. It's not because she wanted to restore a relationship, but because it was ruling her own life. She just couldn't ignore her own pain. It took her many years to admit to herself that she had been raped. Now, it's a unique TED Talk because it was actually presented by her and the man, Tom Stranger, who actually raped her. It's not a light topic. It's not light watching. He puts voice to his sin. He doesn't call it that. <coughs> she speaks of how he writes to him. She writes to him nine years after the incident, not expecting a reply. He did reply, and for him it meant actually facing up to a dark moment in his life that he had for years and years pushed away, pushed away, pushed away. And here in this confrontation, this meeting, he repents. She forgives him. He owns up to his own hideous actions. And after corresponding across the world for another six years, she realises that they need to meet for her to get real closure. She's married with children by this stage, but she travels and he travels to South Africa to meet, to seek proper face-to-face -face forgiveness and restoration. That comes with their tension. She doesn't play down the seriousness of what he did, nor does he. She's angry, but she forgives him. It's powerful, it's a powerful reality that you might say just doesn't make sense. Where's the justice? Where's the retribution? He gets off, no charges, no nothing. Neither of them are Christians, as far as I know, but it's a great example of forgiveness and repentance that Jesus is talking about here and all the way through Luke's Gospel. Luke 5, Jesus says, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' mission involves bringing sinners back to God. And the judgment that is due to us is meted out on him. The forgiveness is costly. It costs the life of Jesus to bring sinners to forgiveness. And it's serious this forgiveness. It's not just a comfortable addition to life. So it's nice if we've got a bit of forgiveness going around. It's absolutely necessary for life to happen at all. It saves people from carrying on in their own wrongdoing and carrying that into judgment. And Jesus says it's a help. Forgiveness is massively important. And it's big. It's big enough to forgive the worst of sins. God loves to, to uh, repentant sinners and lavishes his love on them through sins. The forgiveness that Jesus brings between us and God flows over to our lives and with each other. So friends, if you're here and you've not actually experienced forgiveness from God, 
and you know that you're not in the right with people, then friends, don't leave here without knowing that you can be forgiven. You can be right with God. Come talk to me afterwards. What if we're Christian? What if you're a believer? We're in a very difficult time uh, these days as Christians. Uh, we've always, always been ridiculed by the world, uh, but now we're sort of censored in the world. We actively pursue. Uh, but don't retreat or despair, but rather the opposite. God, in the way that he's forgiven us, has given us something very precious in Jesus' death and the forgiveness that it brings that the world just does not understand but needs to understand. The world stumbles about in this whole area of repentance and forgiveness. It just does not know what to do. When this woman, Thordis, went to speak at the Women of the World Festival in London recently, there was such a great protest that the guy would be there too, that it was shut down. There was protests and that it wasn't good. In the name of freedom, we can watch some of the most degrading things on TV, the most intimate parts of people's lives, but you're not allowed to see true forgiveness happen. That's horrendous. It's sensitive. We don't know what to do as a world. But we do when we know the gospel of Jesus. There's those old sins, the, the cartoon ones of adultery, alcohol abuse, are ridiculed by our society, but they've given way to the new sins out in our culture of racism, homophobia, pedophilia, and misogyny. And they need dealing with, they need naming. And the Bible outlines how to deal with the old sin and the new. And the gospel message being clear. Sinners who repent can be forgiven. Sinners who repent are a treasure to God. Change is possible in all these areas. But in the new world of sins, forgiveness doesn't seem possible for the sinner. Reconciliation is not possible. Repentance is not possible. Alcoholics Anonymous is easily found. But there's no help group for homophobes. There's no homophobic anonymous for those who struggle with it. There's no activist group that puts on therapy for men who struggle with misogyny. That just doesn't happen in our, not a category of the, our world is interested in dealing in having sinners come to repentance. Whether it's the old sins or the new sins. What the world needs from us is for us to learn the old. That is to learn what our God is like and teach what our God is like. That he loves repentant sinners and will welcome them to bring full restoration and have that flow out in people's lives where true repentance become and true forgiveness become through our world. I have a lesson for Father, thank you for showing us who you are and what you are like. Thank you that you welcome repentant sinners. Thank you that you've given us a way of doing forgiveness amongst each other. Help us to practice that well and help us to share that with the world who so needs your love and forgiveness. Amen. We'll have someone come and pray.
Hey, I'm Alex Alpha. Uh, I'll be, I mean, second year engineering, uh, but please pray with me quickly uh, to wrap up. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for onboarding the opportunity that we have had uh, over the weekend to learn about you. Uh, we pray also for university campuses all over Australia, uh, specifically from Monash Uni. Um, uh, they've got a few staff workers there, uh, and as they look through Mark, please uh, give their leaders uh, faithfulness to present your gospel uh, to the students there. Uh, specifically, as we think about what we've learned today, uh, help us in wisdom apply it to our lives so that uh, we may be aware of temptation and sin so that we will fight. Uh, help us to be responsible for each other in Christ and ourselves, building each other, each other up away from sin and forgiving one another. We know that this week we have sinned against you, uh, so we ask for your forgiveness so that we might continue in our relationship with you, putting on sin as we praise you for what you have done to do. Amen. Amen.